Welcome, and thank you for joining us on the City Point Church Sermon Podcast, where our desire is to help you follow Jesus. We are so glad that you are here, and wherever you are listening from, we believe that God has something in store for you through today's message. We are now in our fourth week, our fourth installment in this book, and we are still in chapter one, because that's just kind of how we roll at City Point Church. We take paragraph after paragraph, and we just let the text do the primary bulk of the talking and the work in our lives. And so we have just been working through this first chapter, and we have gotten now to verses 21 through 23, a short paragraph compared to some of the other ones that we've studied already, but I want to read this here in just a moment. I've entitled this message, Zoom Out. Zoom Out. Some of us are, we're zoomed in too much. We are discouraged. We are feeling defeated. We are feeling overwhelmed because we have been zooming in. And what this paragraph is going to help us to do is to zoom out and to see the bigger picture of what God is doing and wanting to do And intending even for us to do in our journey with Jesus. So Colossians chapter 1, follow along with me if you would. Verse 21, I'll read down through verse 23, just three verses here. Paul is the writer. He's writing to a group of Christians, a church in a city called Colossae. These Christians, of course, because they were Christians, they were Christ followers. They had already put faith in Jesus. And he says this, And you, church at Colossae, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Here's the big idea. This is what we're going to unpack for the next several minutes. This is the through line, the thought that sits over top of this entire text. It's this, when Jesus is above all, I understand the big picture. When Jesus is above all, when he is enthroned in his rightful place in our lives, I understand the big picture. Now, most people will fall into one of two categories. You are either a detail-oriented person or you are a big-picture person. I don't know where you might fall between those two categories this morning, but if you're not sure, detail-oriented people, as you might guess, are focused on details when big picture people are really focused on the outcome. They're focused on the goal. They're focused on where this is all going. Detail-oriented people obsess over perfection. Big people, big, big picture people obsess over efficiency. Detail-oriented people are focused on the process while big picture people want the product. Detail-oriented people tend to work more slowly because of the detail. Big picture people tend to work more quickly because they're trying to get to the destination. Detail-oriented people usually focus on one thing at a time, while big picture people tend to have many irons in the fire. 
Detail-oriented people are more patient. Big-picture people are more persistent. Detail-oriented people focus on what's right in front of them, while big-picture people focus on how what's in front of them gets them to where they're going. Now, there's not a right or a wrong to these two categories, and I don't know where you might land. I tend to lean a little bit more towards the big picture. I tend to, I tend to look at the outcome and where we're going and, and what we need to do to get there. There's not necessarily a right or a wrong answer there, and there are actually benefits to both. Detail-oriented people give us creative arts. They give us balanced financial books. They give us successful surgeries. We're all thankful for the heart surgeon who is, has an attention to detail. Big picture people give us well-organized organizations, effective personal trainers, and future-shaping visionaries. So what Paul is going to do in this text today is he's going to zoom out. Not to minimize the details of your Christian journey and your Christian walk, but, but sometimes we can get caught up in those and we can miss the big picture. So he wants to zoom out so that he can give to us and help us to understand the big picture of what's going on in our life, in our lives with Jesus and our relationship with him as we are walking with him. The Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. We are in this for the long haul. So here's what the big picture does. It helps us to understand what's going on so we stay in it for the long haul. So we don't get discouraged. So we don't quit. So we don't give up. I have found that the big picture often gives perspective, clarity, and hope. Perspective helps me to understand how what I'm dealing with really relates to everything else going on in my life. Clarity helps me to know what I need to be doing right now. I don't need to be worrying about where I'm supposed to go or fretting over what I just did, but really focusing on right now. And then hope is where it's often easy to miss the forest for the trees. We're so focused on, on what's happening right in front of us that we miss all of what God is intending to do in and through our lives. And so here in this paragraph, we get the big picture. Here's what Paul's going to do for us. He's going to show us this is who you were. Then he's going to show us this is who God is making you to be. And then he's going to explain this is what you should be doing in between. Okay, I've just given you the three-point outline, essentially. That's what's going on right here in verses 21, 22, and 23. So the question we want to answer is what does it mean to understand the big picture when Jesus is above all I understand the big picture so what does it mean to understand this big picture there are three realities to this big picture the outline is going to look like this understanding the big picture means number one I know my past it means I know my past it means I know where I've been and where I'm coming from and what God has done in my life. This is verse 21 in the first half of 22. Paul writes and he says, and you, he's speaking specifically to this church of Christians in Colossae, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he, Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. So Paul is going to give us the spiritual diagnosis of the human condition. And I want to just give you a heads up. It's not good. It's not pretty. 
This is who we were before Christ, a spiritual, not a physical, but a spiritual diagnosis of the human condition because understanding the depths of our lostness helps us to appreciate the heights of God's grace. So here he lays it out for us. This is who we were. This is our past. This is us before Jesus. First he says you were alienated. That word means to be estranged. In Ephesians chapter 2, the same writer is writing to a different group of Christians, and he says this. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. This is who we were. We were estranged, separated, alienated from God. But this is not how God had always intended for it to be. You see, when you go back to the first story of the first man and the first woman, God placed them in a garden, and he placed them in that garden for relationship and for fellowship with him. So God originally intended for his human family to have fellowship with himself and his divine family, that there would be overlap in that garden, dwelling and abiding and walking together. But when sin entered, mankind became estranged and separated from God because of that sin. This is who we were, alienated and estranged from God. But then he says, secondly, we were hostile in our mind. That's, that's enemy language there, to be hostile. Now, if estrangement is caused by sin, then hostility is caused by Satan. That the God of this world had blinded our minds causing our minds to be hostile, for us to be enemies to God. Again, in Ephesians 2, Paul writes this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Notice this, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's who we were, hostile and blinded in our minds because of the work of Satan. We were alienated because of our sin. We were, we were hostile because of the work of the devil in our lives. And then thirdly, we were doing evil deeds because wrong thinking will ultimately lead to wrong doing. Now there's a spectrum here. When we think of the word evil, on, on the spectrum of one to 10, we immediately go to the 10 side. You know, the, the evil things are those, those extreme things of terrorism and those who want to dominate the world by wiping out entire people groups and, and those who, who are involved in human trafficking and these type of things. Those, those are evil, and yes, they absolutely are. But I want you to understand that on that spectrum, there's also the lower end. And oftentimes, we like to sweep these things under the rug. Our own selfishness, our own unwillingness to forgive others, that small, subtle, seemingly insignificant white lie. And so we look at the evil side, we look at evil and we think it's the nines and the tens, but we don't realize that for God, the whole scale is evil. Sin is sin. Sin has estranged us. Sin has caused us to be hostile towards God. Sin is the universal condition. It's the universal problem of mankind. Now, let's just be honest this morning. Sometimes we hear things like this and it just feels a little unfair. It just feels maybe even a little unnecessary. And I've had conversations with people and they come to a point, come to a point like this in the conversation. They're like, John, I don't get it. I've got a coworker. They're not a follower of Jesus, but I would not define their life as evil. 
I would not say that that neighbor or that, that family member or that coworker is, is estranged and hostile and evil. The problem is that what we're trying to do in those moments is we're trying to make a physical diagnosis of a spiritual problem. On the outside, things might look okay. People who are living their lives, seeming to be good citizens and raising their children to be good citizens of society, but that's like me arguing with a doctor who's trying to convince me that I have an internal problem called cancer, but because I don't see anything on the outside, I'm just not going to believe him. We trust doctors to make proper internal diagnosis of our physical problems. I am asking us this morning to trust the scripture to make a proper spiritual diagnosis of our spiritual problem. That on the inside, yes, even that friend who is a morally good person and trying to live their best life and trying to do things right and be good, even on the inside there is, there is a problem that unless it's addressed, leaves them in the condition that Paul articulates here in these verses. But there's good news. See, God doesn't leave us in our sinful condition. God doesn't leave us estranged and hostile and doing evil deeds. He provides a way. Verse 22. Here he says that Jesus, he has now reconciled. We looked at that word last week. It means to fix what's broken. He has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's speaking of the crucifixion of Christ. You see, in the crucifixion, we find the great reversal. Instead of being aliens, we are now family. Instead of being hostile, we are now friends. Instead of doing evil deeds, we now have the opportunity to do good deeds because of what Christ has fixed on our behalf. Again in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, that sounds like estrangement, have been brought near, how? By the blood of Christ, through his death and his crucifixion and ultimately through his resurrection, now our sins have been forgiven, the problem of our sin has been eradicated, the righteousness of Christ has been put onto our account, the very life of Christ has now been put within us, so now we can live as Christ lived because his power and his presence is within us. It's good news. Sin is deadening, Satan is blinding, but the Savior is rescuing. And by the way, let me just say this. It's, it's by no merit of our own. It's not because I did something to earn this. It's not because I, I proved myself first to God or somehow impressed him by my religion and my deeds and my good works. No, I just simply came with all of my mess and all of my brokenness to him and he's received me. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, which by the way, that means a follower of Christ. That doesn't mean that you just have gone to Christian churches. It means that you've put faith in Jesus. If you are here today and you are a Christian, you have a similar past. It is past tense. So I wonder this morning, has this happened for you? Do you have the same past tense or does the description that I just walked through actually represent your present tense? Have you not had a moment where you've come to faith in Christ and been reconciled and had that relationship fixed? For the church at Colossae, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 1 here, verses 5 and 6, they had a moment when they understood the grace of God in Christ Jesus and they put faith in him. So this is their past tense reality. This is something that was who they used to be. 
which is why as Paul unpacks it, he can talk to them in past tense language. But I wonder, do you have a past tense like this? Has there been a moment in your life when you have come to faith in Jesus? I like to describe it this way, that faith is like a three-way intersection. I've got a picture here to kind of show you what I mean by this. It's the intersection of three different areas of our life. Our mind, our heart, and our will are all coming together and they're intersecting in what we might call this moment of faith. You see, our mind is what we know to be true. Christianity is not about blind faith. It's not about putting faith in something that we just need to like put our reason aside to believe in. You can kick the tires of Christianity. You you can examine it. You can ask all your questions. There is a truth that our mind must understand about who Jesus is. But then there's also our heart. And that is just the desire and the longing and the drawing that God is drawing us to himself. And this isn't just something that I know to be true. This is actually something that I want to be true. But then there's also the will. And that is your decision. That is the choice That because of what you know to be true and what you are desiring in your heart to be true, that now you are willing to trust it and put faith in it. And I'm afraid that many people go to church and they're having their minds stretched and their their affection of their hearts are growing, but they've never actually come to a place of choosing and receiving Christ that with your will you are putting faith in Jesus. And faith in Jesus at the top there is the intersection of all three of these. You don't have to check your mind at the door. But you can examine it and know what is true and then you can desire it with the affections of your heart but then you must come to a place of receiving and believing and trusting. And so have you had this moment? Has there been this intersection? And if you're here today and you're saying, John, I'm not sure. Listen, you'll know. You'll know if you've had that moment. So if there's some uncertainty, then I would call you today to trust Jesus Allow what he has done on the cross of Christ to become your past tense. That this will be who Christ has now made you to be. But for those of us who have put faith in Christ as Christians, part of understanding the big picture is not forgetting where we've come from. Not forgetting what Christ has already done. And so understanding the big picture means I know my past. But number two... Understanding the big picture also means I know my future. I know my future. I know the goal. I know the end game here. Look at verse 22, the second half. He says, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Who's the him? Well, it's Christ. Paul has this longing and this desire as he is shepherding these people through this letter that he would be able to present them before Christ. And then he uses these three descriptions, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Have you ever seen those fitness transformation before and after pictures, right? You've got the before picture, and then you've got the after picture, and the person's lost 50 pounds, and they've, they've got some new muscles that are starting to kind of bulge through a little bit. And you're looking at that picture, and you're thinking, can I just skip to the after? Like, can I just get the end result of this? Do I have to go through everything in the middle here? What Paul is doing is he's putting up the, the after picture. You know what that after picture does? It motivates. It encourages us. 
it gives us hope. Man, if that, if that could be true for that guy, if that could be true for that girl, maybe that could be true for me too. So here's the after picture. Here is the future hope and reality that we will be holy, blameless, and above reproach. But here's what, here's what we have to understand about this spiritual reality. It is an already not yet tension. Several things in scripture and in our Christian life is already and not yet. Things like the kingdom of God. It's already and it's not yet. But here in our own spiritual growth, we are already holy, blameless, and above reproach. And yet we are not yet fully holy, blameless, and above reproach. We are becoming more and more who we already are. Positionally, these things are true of us. They're done. But practically, it's, it's being worked in and through our life. So here is that already not yet reality of our future. What do we see in the after picture of the spiritual transformation? He says we are holy. We are holy. That word means to be set apart, to be set apart unto God. Consider the things in scripture that are called holy. God's name is holy. God's chosen people are holy. God's land the promised land is called the holy land. God's temple was called holy. God's day, the Sabbath, was called holy. God's money, the tithe, was called holy. God's indwelling presence, his spirit, is called holy. You're starting to kind of see the connection here. Everything that belongs to God is called holy. Guess what else belongs to God? You. If you have put faith in Christ, you are now holy. You are set apart, sanctified unto God. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are holy and set apart because we belong to God. What else do we see in this future picture? We see that we are blameless. That means without any defects. I wonder this morning, what words would you use to describe yourself? We are our own worst critic, aren't we? As you sit here this morning thinking about how you might describe yourself, you might think of words like flawed, needy, damaged goods, useless, unreliable, weak. When we start to think of ourselves, we, we see all of our shortcomings, but the gospel reality is that when God looks at you, he says, blameless. Blameless. It's the idea of justification, that we have been made right with God because when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he sees his son. Because Christ is blameless, we now are blameless and we are becoming blameless. This is the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This word blameless is the word that would be used to describe the sacrificial animals that were brought to the altar. And God had a really high standard for those animals. They had to be blameless without any spot, without, without any imperfection. And now as God looks at his people, he says, this is who you are and this is who you are, who, who you are becoming. Holy, blameless, and then he says, above reproach. If holy and blameless is who we are before God, then above reproach is who we are before the world. 
No accusations stick to us because of who Christ has made us to be. So one day, this church at Colossae is going to stand before God. And Paul's pastoral passion for them, he'll say at the end of this chapter, in verse 28, he'll he'll say that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He wants to present them before God, and when he presents them, he wants that future version of them to be fully holy and fully blameless and fully above reproach. So just like that personal trainer who has the after picture, the transformation in mind, he is encouraging and, and, and writing to them and leading them towards that expected end. And so in the tension between the already and the not yet, we are becoming more and more who we already are. Now here's what we have to understand about this. God is patient with the messy middle. God is patient with the messy middle. You you know where the messy middle is, right? It's before, it's in between the not yet and the already. It's between the past tense and the future tense. There's a messy middle in between here where we are growing more and more into who Christ has already made us to be. And so I want to point that out this morning because I want you to be patient with your messy middle too. And I want us collectively as a church to be patient with one another in our messy middles. Some of us have been a part of churches that required and demanded that there would be no mess in the middle. That there was this expectation of just immediate transformation that everything in your life is going to be put together. And so you learn to do the part, don't you? You learn to kind of play the part and put the show on and look really good on the outside, but inside you're dying And inside, you know your messes, but you can't show anybody because as soon as you show some of your messes, all those other people who appear to be put together are going to say, you know what? I think you should kind of take a break for a while. You need to be sidelined because your life isn't completely put together. And I can hear these people arguing with this message. And here's what they would say to a point like this. They would say, well, John, do you mean that you're okay with your messes? Are you okay with everybody coming to church with their mess? Like, listen, we all know we're a mess, The point is not to be okay with the mess. The point is to be patient in between with the mess. And so because God is patient in the messy middle, we need to be patient in the messy middle. Because the gospel, the gospel allows us to be real about our messy middle. Because it doesn't leave us in that place of mess It's the very answer that we need for all of the problems that we walked in with this morning and all of the in-between tension where we know that these things are already true about us, but in some way we just feel like we're not quite there yet. The gospel is the answer in between. So I wrote a couple of things down here. What is true of a church being patient with the messy middle? Four things I wrote down here. What is true of a church that is being patient with the messy middle. Number one, we don't demand perfection, but we do expect growth. We're not demanding perfection of anybody here. Amy mentioned it during the hosting. If you've come here expecting a perfect church, you will be sorely disappointed before the service is over. We are not demanding some form of perfection as if we've all got it together, but we are expecting growth because the gospel changes us. And the gospel is moving us from who we were to who we will be. Number two, 
What is true in a church being patient with the messy middle? We give grace because we need grace. In other words, I give you grace this week because I'm going to need you to give me grace next week. And churches tend to be really good at giving grace. But again, that perception that they've got it all put together, they're not, they're not willing to receive that grace because they just want everybody to think that they don't actually need any grace. So we are giving grace because we recognize that we are going to be on the receiving end and needing that grace. Thirdly, a church that's being patient with the messy middle is going to be a place where forgiveness, confession, and repentance are common practice among us. That just all the time, it's just regular place. People are getting together and they're having conversations and it might sound something like this after church. Hey, it's great to see you. How was your week? Oh, my week was great. Hey, did you try that coffee on the coffee cart? That was really good today. It was really good coffee. Yeah, man, that set list today, Brock was just nailing it on that, on that song. Really enjoyed that. Oh, by the way, last week I said something and it may have come across a little sideways. I just wanted to apologize for that. Oh, no problem. I forgive you. And just in the course of just an average everyday conversation in church, there is repentance, there is forgiveness, there is confession. Why? Because we're all a mess. And we recognize that. And so there is grace being given and there is forgiveness being extended. And there are moments of, hey, I need to just share with you something that I did and some way that I messed up this week. And there's confession happening in life groups, in church, over a cup of coffee in the middle of the week. These things are happening. The fourth thing I wrote down that's true of a church being patient with the messy middle is that not everyone is at the same place on their journey, but everyone is pursuing Jesus. Not everyone is at the same place. That's part of the problem with the churches that are not okay with the messy middle is that everybody is expected to be right here, wherever here is defined. And they'll give you a checklist of what here is supposed to look like. And until you mark off all of the boxes on that checklist, you haven't really arrived. So the reality is not everyone in this room is at the same place. So here's what happens if we, if we don't understand this point. We will either become judgmental or we will become discouraged. Because as I look around this room, I will see somebody who is not as far along as me. And then what is my response? Judgment. Because, well, I'm better than you. Because I've, I've, I've grown I have matured spiritually, so now all of a sudden there's judgment. But then I look across to the other side of the room, and I see somebody who is further along than me in their spiritual walk, and now all of a sudden I'm discouraged because I can't be as good as them. Boy, I can't be as put together as that couple. I can't have kids like that family. And so either way, it's like a lose-lose situation when we don't understand that it's okay to be patient in the messy middle. We are all journeying, and we're at different places. Some might be further down the road. Some might be further back, and they're catching up. But wherever we might be, we are all pursuing Jesus. And that's the point. And that is one of the beauties of a multi-generational church is that those who have been a follower of Jesus for many, many, many years are patiently and graciously loving and discipling those of us who have not been a follower of Jesus quite as long. And we are all growing together because the goal is not me and the standard that I have articulated. The goal is Jesus, and we are all pursuing him. So City Point Church, let's just be this kind of a church Let's be the kind of church that between the already and the not yet 
in that messy middle that we are demonstrating these kind of qualities. We need to zoom out. Understanding the big picture here. When Jesus is above all, we understand the big picture. What does that mean? Well, understanding the big picture means I know my past. This is who I was and what Jesus has done. Understanding the big picture means I know my future. This is the eternal transformation that God one day will lead me to as he is currently working in my life towards that goal. But thirdly and finally this morning, understanding the big picture means I know my responsibilities. I know my past. I know my future. But I also know my present responsibilities. This is the second half of verse 23, or right at the beginning, rather, of verse 23. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So past tense, here's what Jesus did. Future tense, this is what Jesus is doing and will lead you to. And then he says, right now, he puts this condition on it. If indeed you continue in the faith. Now, this is not a condition for our salvation. This is a condition for our sanctification. This is not a condition, if you will, on the reconciliation of verse 21. This is a condition on the being presented before him of verse 22. So there is a God side and a human side to these responsibilities. I'm going to focus primarily today on our responsibility because that's what the text is focusing on. But there's a God side to this responsibility as well. The God side in Philippians 1.6 is that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. That is what we might call our eternal security. You are not going to lose what God gifted to you. God is working these things out. God is bringing you to completion. That's what he is responsible to do. But yet there is a responsibility on the human side as well, which is the focus and emphasis of this text. And so from the human side, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. So perseverance is the full expectation of true followers of Jesus, that we will continue, that we will not quit. It doesn't mean that we never waver. It doesn't mean that we don't have some doubts. It doesn't mean that we don't go through some seasons. But ultimately, it means that we are continuing in the faith. Jesus said that a tree will be known by its fruit. Those who are truly connected, the vine connected to the branch, those who are truly connected to Christ will produce fruit. There will be evidence of continuing. James says that true saving faith will produce good works. Not that it might, or in most cases it will, but that it absolutely will produce good works. This is what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the spiritual traction, where what you know to be true actually starts to be lived down in your life. John wrote in 1 John 2, verse 9, he spoke of a group of people. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us, because if they had been of us, been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be complained, that they are not of us. This group, their lack of continuing was evidence that they were never truly connected to the vine. They were never truly followers of Jesus. So perseverance is the full expectation of true followers of Christ. So what are my responsibilities and what are your responsibilities in between the past tense and the future tense? There are two of them that he writes here in this text. He says we will continue 
in the faith. That is what we are responsible to do. And we are not to shift from the hope of the gospel. To continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, and not to shift from the hope of the gospel. So let's look at this first one. He says that we are responsible. This is on us to continue in the faith. Faith is where Christianity begins, and faith is how Christianity continues. That diagram I showed you, that picture I showed you a moment ago, faith in Jesus, that intersection moment, that's where it begins. But let me tell you, you never graduate from faith. We continue walking by faith. And what I love about this idea of continuing, it's something that all of us can do. This isn't something where you have to have some elite spiritual ability. You don't have to have some elite spiritual knowledge. You don't have to go through some classes or demonstrate some some ability that you have before you can do these things. Continuing is something that we can all do. We just keep going the same way we started, by faith. I picture Dora from Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, right? Just keep faithing. Continue in the faith. Every time you hear a message preached like this one, where God pricks your heart and the Spirit of God is doing a work and you're like, I'm not sure I can respond to this, respond in faith. Faith again. Every time you go through a season where it just seems like the trials are mounting one on top of the other and you're being attacked from every side, it's an opportunity for faith again. Every time you go through a spiritual growth spurt, with the growing pains that come with it. It's an opportunity for faith again. We never graduate. We never move past faith. We are continuing in the faith. Every time we get to the end of a message like this, really, what is my goal as a pastor? My goal as a pastor is for you to respond to the text by faith. It will always be by faith. I'll never preach a message and get to the end and be like, okay, now you can go do that on your own. You can go do that in your own strength now. Go figure that one out. It's always faith. It's always trust again. It's always belief again. I'm not talking in the sense of your salvation. That's a moment. I'm talking about your continuing and your growing and your walking is the same way that you got in. It's by faith. And so he says we continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. If you're here this morning and you're weary or you're discouraged or maybe being in this room is really your last attempt to maybe hopefully figure this thing out. Stop trying to will it into existence. Stop trying to be the answer to all of your problems. Trust Jesus again. Continue in faith. But then he also says our second responsibility is not to shift from the hope of the gospel. That word shift, not shifting, it's in the passive tense, which means that something is causing the shifting. I am not doing the shifting. I am being shifted. So when he says not shifting, not being shifted, not allowing things in your life to shift you and to move you and to discourage you from the hope of the gospel. Again, this isn't that we never have a bad day. 
or we never have some doubts, or we never feel like we might be shifting a little bit. But if we feel like we're shifting, it's probably, probably because we need to come back to the steady, stable faith and continue again. I have found many times that seasons of ongoing trials and setbacks have a way of shifting us. Unmet expectations or maybe disappointments with people often can shift us. Extended seasons of isolation from community can shift us. There are still people today who, because of the COVID pandemic, haven't come back to community. They were shifted. It happened to them. Something that they couldn't have helped in their life shifted them out and shifted them away, and they haven't really ever come back. And so if you're here this morning and you feel like you have shifted or you are being shifted, I want, to, I want to encourage you this morning. You don't need to pretend like you've got it all put together. You don't need to pretend like your life is all figured out. Ask for help. Find somebody nearby. Come to our prayer team down at the front after. Let us pray over you. Lean into community. Get into a life group. Whatever you need to do to have that strength and that fortitude around you. Because when the trials come and when the difficulties come and when we are tempted to shift, we need to come back. My oldest son started a job about two years ago on our street where he has been going to some of the neighbors. And on Sunday night and on Tuesday night, he will bring their trash cans down. And then the next morning, he'll take them up and they'll give him a couple of bucks at the end of the month. And it's just a good opportunity for him to learn responsibility. But here's the thing about Braden's job is that he and I are both responsible for that job. Because what I've done is I've put some prompts in my phone to remind me that it's Sunday night, it's Tuesday night, and so I need to go to Braden and say, hey, Braden, go get the cans. So I am prompting him. That's the part that I play. But then he needs to go get the cans. That's the part that he plays. And that's very much like the Christian life. God, what does he do? He prompts us. His spirit is within us. He even empowers us but we need to go take the cans down. We are still responsible to continue in the faith and not be shifted from the hope of the gospel. And God is working with us and God is reminding us and God is prompting us, but there is still work for us to do. And so then as Paul gets to the end of verse 23, he's going to wrap up this paragraph by doing, he's already zoomed out, but he's going to zoom out even more. Look at the last couple of phrases of verse 20, 23. He says, which has been proclaimed, he's speaking of the gospel, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is going to sound familiar to verse 6 from the first message where the gospel is increasing in all of creation. He comes to this relatively new church at Colossae, these newer Christians, and he says, you are a part of something bigger than yourself. Really what he's saying is he's saying, church at Colossae, you are this one puzzle piece, but here I want to show you the front of the box. There is a much bigger picture that God is, is putting together here, his gospel plan. And then Paul says, I am a minister, I'm a part of this gospel plan, and it's bigger than just you. And so now we are called to be a part of that plan that is much bigger than ourselves to take that message to the world.
So here's that big picture. This is who you were. This is who God is making you to be, the transformation. And this is your responsibility in between. So the big idea, again, is when Jesus is above all, I understand the big picture. I see this big picture. And when you see the big picture, what happens is, again, the perspective, the clarity, the hope. And if you've been zooming in and focused really narrowly, maybe you've been sensing and seeing some discouragement and some disparagement in your life, but but let this text cause you to zoom out and see something bigger is going on here. I have a past, I have a future, and I have some responsibility in between to continue in the faith. So this morning, we want to allow this text to come to bear on our lives. So I've got three questions that I want to ask you as we learn to live. Number one, do you have a faith intersection? Do you have a faith intersection? I want to put that picture up on the screen again, what I showed a moment ago. Do you have that intersection of your mind, your heart, and your will where what you knew to be true and what you sensed that you were even desiring to be true came to a point of decision and came to a point of reception? Do you have that moment? Because if you don't have that moment, then your, that past tense that was articulated in this text is currently your present tense. But the good news is that by faith in Christ, you can be changed and you can be transformed. And so if you were here today and you would say, no, I don't, I don't think I have that moment, or maybe you're not sure, then what I would call you to today is faith in Jesus. Right now, say yes to Jesus. Right now, put faith in Christ, not in me, not in a church, not in a system of religion. Put faith in Jesus. And if today, even right now, if today you've said yes to Jesus, then I want to invite you when the service is over, stop by the table in the lobby. We have a gift that we would like to give to you that will help you at the beginning of that journey. One of our leaders will be there. It's a book they'd like to give to you that will help to maybe answer some questions or help you to better understand that decision to trust Christ. So just stop by and say, I said yes to Jesus. I trusted Christ today. And they'll give that book to you. We want to help you in this new relationship because all of us have to have that moment of coming to faith in Christ. Number two, my second question for you is this. Where do you need to zoom out? Where do you need to zoom out and see the big picture? You've been focused in. You've been missing the forest for the trees. You're not sure what God is doing. You're discouraged. You feel defeated. Zoom out. Let the Spirit of God show you where you need His perspective on what's going on in your life. And then thirdly and finally, how does the big picture need to change how you live this week? How does the big picture need to change and influence how you live? Maybe it needs to change some of your priorities. Maybe it means it's time to carve out some time to sit and to be with your creator. Maybe it means that there's a conversation with somebody that you need to have, somebody that doesn't know Christ, to share with them that good news of Jesus, to explain to them the mind, the heart, and the will, and coming to that intersection of faith in Christ. Let this big picture influence and change how you live this week. And we will trust God 
to get all of the glory for what we do and how we live for his kingdom progress this week. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you for this moment and these moments that we've had to study your word. Thank you for the truth found in scripture. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to allow your spirit to make the application that needs to be made. If there's somebody here today and they've not put faith in Christ, I pray that they, that they would even right now trust you and have that intersection moment where they believe and they trust and they know that you are their personal savior. Do the work that we cannot humanly do. God, for the one that is discouraged or disheartened this morning, growing weary, I pray that they would continue. Even this message today is a call once again to faith. So may each one of us walk in step with the Spirit, trusting you and abiding with you and allowing our life to be marked and measured by faith. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about City Point Church, visit us online at citypointaz.com. You can also find us on social media at CityPointAZ. Be sure to leave a review, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. Now from us here at City Point Church, go seeking to live on mission for the glory of God with this truth stamped over your life that you are loved.